Our subject today is, uh, here's the title. Here's the title for today. Stones to Bread. Stones to Bread. Will you take stones because you can and turn them into bread? This is about winning as a Christian, not sinning as a Christian. This is about succeeding, not failing in the wilderness spaces of your life where you fall victim to taking proactive uh, activities, proactive choices, decisions that will satisfy legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. This, uh, this is a meditational message for you, some observations, both theological and practical, that are meant to help you have victory as a Christian. Be led by the Spirit, but this I say, this is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. You got where you got because of the work of the Spirit. You got where you got justified by the work of the Spirit through faith alone. And you will become like Christ through the work of the Spirit. You got started that way, and you will get finished that way. Justification and sanctification is the product of the work of God. I am not my own master builder. He who began the good work will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God chose me. God miraculously saved me by his spirit through faith because of the gracious work of God alone, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He substituted as my lamb. He endured what I deserved. I enter into the benefits of that substitutionary act and the validating evidence in his resurrection power. I've been made righteous. I've been forgiven of my sin, not through Harry's work, but through the work of God, the Father sending the Son, the Son substituting, and the Spirit of God regenerating or transforming. That is the work of God from beginning to end. Do you believe that? You should believe that. Because that guarantees everything. If you are a Christian, it guarantees not only your status and your identity, it guarantees who and what you will become because it's the work of God, not your work. You cooperate with him, but he is the engine. He's the agent. That's encouraging. You should say, thank you. Because I know that in and of myself, I don't have the capacity to succeed, which is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, but this I say, since or if you walk by the Spirit, you will not. And it's an emphatic negative. There's no chance in the world if you walk by the Spirit, you will fulfill the desires of the flesh. The flesh being the fallen man, the Adamic nature the ruined me and my humanity, damaged by Adam's choice, passed on to every human being. My flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. The Spirit, capital S, the work of God that He desires to do in my life, I have a built-in adversary, my flesh. The flesh wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. They are in opposition to each other. They're not remotely on the same side. They're opposed. 
what God wants to do in me, what he saved me to become, what Jesus Christ died to produce in me, and the Spirit of God is, is affecting me, in me, is opposed to the flesh that I reside in. I'm a new creation, but I'm tabernacled in fallen flesh. That's why I have desires. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Some of the desires I have are not spiritually enriching, edifying desires. They're destructive desires. They're injurious desires. They're carnal desires. They're damaging, destructive, and dishonoring desires. And the Spirit of God is the agent and means by which I can have victory and live in a way that I'm going to call winning, not sinning. Because there's a credibility gap in our Christianity. In this joy of grace and unmerited favor, there's kind of a reckless attitude, it seems, to celebrate my fallenness and in an effort to give honor to God and his abundant grace. And Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, God forbid that I would allow my sin to be a source of promoting the glory of God's grace. I am glad that God is gracious, but God desires through his grace to make me holy like his son. And there's a credibility gap in our Christianity, and it has to do with consistent victory. We have cycles of sinning that undermine our potency and our influence. Who wants to talk to any Christian about transformational life change, about Jesus Christ or the ways of God when their life is a consistent pattern of failure? Bad attitudes, carnal actions, immoral decisions. Who's listening to that voice? Let me answer that question for you. Nobody. Christians in their journey of grace need to be winning over the flesh, not sinning and living in the flesh. I'm not here to beat you up today. I'm here to inspire you today to a priority that matters. Because if you're a Christian... The work of the Spirit of God, if you are led and walking by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's a guarantee. That means whoever you came in here as this morning, you have the comfort, confidence, and potential that you can be different than the way you came in. The attitudes that characterize you, the decisions that define you, can and should be different. But you're up against a sizable challenge. The enemy's powerful. The world and its current and stimulation toward fleshly desires and interests and ideas is swift. And this flesh, it's stronger than I am. The only way you succeed as a Christian is if you walk in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and enjoying, as Christ did, victory over Satan, temptation, and the flesh through the work of the Spirit. 
So these next few times that I have the opportunity to share God's word with you, I'm going to talk about victory in the spirit. Stones to bread. Winning, not sinning. Because the validating outcome of a Christian is constantly walking, evident fruit bearing, and consistently winning, not sinning. Luke chapter 4. After Jesus has compassionately identified with humanity in his baptism, after he has received divine affirmation, compassionate identification, verse 21, chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, heaven opens, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. There's the divine affirmation. But I want you to notice the words full or the word full. Jesus full, that's influenced, governed by, filled up, governed, guided, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan, that's where he was baptized, and was led around by the Spirit. So he is full of the Spirit, he is led by the Spirit, step-by-step guidance, by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now listen, full of the Spirit, under the influence and control. Not sipping the Spirit, but filled up with the Holy Spirit. Under the influence, if we were borrowing the terms of Ephesians 5. Under the influence in the wilderness. Filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, into the wilderness. Now listen, I just want to make a comment. Anybody know what the wilderness is? Scorpions, snakes, a few wild birds, hot. Think Palm Springs summertime hot. Think 125 degrees hot. Think about inhospitable, desolate, lonely, You can be full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit and be in the wilderness. You cannot measure your spiritual condition by your circumstances. Can I offer you that thought? Even if you're full of the Spirit, every day is not a fair weather day. I don't care what Joel Osteen says. God's work in my life includes wilderness spaces. He's led up by. This is a parallel passage, Matthew 4, 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, listen to this, to be tempted by the devil. Now listen, what you need to understand is he was a compassionate identifier with humanity. He enjoyed divine affirmation from God regard and consecration, the baptism, the affirmation and consecration from the Father, the identity of the Son. But this is character confirmation. This is virtue visible. You're going to see credibility in the Son as a part of what I'm going to call ministry preparation. Character confirmation, ministry preparation, because Jesus learned things through what he suffered. 
Hebrews chapter 4 says that he became an adequate high priest, not because he just passed the test. He became sympathetic to all of those who will follow in similar tests. He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here's a truth that I want to plan in your heart. Adverse circumstances God uses to develop you to become what he designed you to be, those same circumstances can be leveraged by the devil to harm and hinder you, to damage and destroy you. You cannot measure your spiritual condition by your circumstances, and you cannot underestimate God's design and desire through difficulty to achieve a necessary good, or the enemy's leveraging of that same circumstance to destroy, undermine, and damage. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to validate his virtue in person, because he will victoriously overcome the enemy. Now listen, you understand this. Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam was in a garden lush with food. The second Adam is in the wilderness with no food. The first Adam is in the garden with a companion. This second Adam is in the wilderness without companions. This second Adam, goes into the wilderness in order to bring humanity back to the garden. The first Adam started in the garden and left us in the wilderness. This is the second Adam doing what the first Adam didn't do. This is Jesus satisfying in his character and conduct the necessary expression in order to secure the goal of walking humanity, those saved by his grace, back into paradise. He will, by his victory, bring man back into the garden of God's goodness. This is the beloved son behaving as a man ought to behave. This is not just a validation of his virtue, a preparation for his ministry, Hebrews 2.18, and that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted, Hebrews 2.18. It's an instructional illustration. This is an illustration, and this is my main beginning point. This is an illustration of how a man defeats the enemy in the flesh. This is about winning, not sinning. This is about the difficulty of overcoming stressful realities and being faithful because of what you believe about God and how you behave toward God. God tests and the enemy tempts. Trials are tests of God in adverse circumstances which he allows and ordains to develop you and temptations are adverse circumstances that the enemy uses to destroy and defeat you. And they're often the same event. God to develop and prepare as he does with his son, the enemy in an effort to derail, defeat, and destroy. Let me just pause. If you're in a wilderness, it's a testing zone ordained by God. 
If you're in the wilderness, it could be a temptation zone that the enemy will leverage. It's a test and a temptation. It's designed for good, but can result in destruction and tragedy. Luke 4, led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Verse 2, for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now, the way I used to read this would imply that all the temptation came at the end. That's not what the text says. It's 40 days of assault. 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. The participle modifies what's happening in the wilderness the whole time. This is wave after wave. This is tempted in every way. Being tempted 40 straight days of wave after wave of devil tempting. I take the statement in verse 2, and when they... And and he ate nothing, rather, during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Now, I want to offer you a couple ideas about success, because Jesus is going to defeat the enemy. You know that. What were the contributing factors to that success? I want to argue one of them comes right here in this verse, verse 2. He ate nothing during those days. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2 says it this way, and after he had fasted 40 days and nights. Do you know what fasting is? It's denying your flesh something that it wants in order to get what your spirit needs. I'm going to argue that part of what made Jesus successful, winning, not sinning, in the wilderness test at the outset of his ministry, was rooted in part to the discipline priority that he implemented, valuing what needed to happen spiritually over the challenges of what was going on physically. Let me say it this way. Fasting was a discipline that Jesus implemented. He took an at-the-time strategic action to fast, to deny the flesh, to prioritize the spirit, to give up something the flesh wanted in order to accomplish something that the spirit needed. While in the wilderness, he committed himself to spiritual discipline that prepared him for success when the ultimate challenge came that we're reading about here. He's tempted the whole time. But at the end of the time, when he became hungry, which implies that during the fasting, he was focused and God was providing spiritually and his body wasn't craving physically, but his body ultimately did crave physically. It was a priority to succeed in the spiritual progress and success needed. All right, let me just make this as plain as I can say it. If you're in the wilderness and you want to win, not sin, and listen, when you're in the wilderness, there's all kinds of justifications that can emerge by way of temptations of the flesh and the enemy in the world to satisfy yourself, to diminish the discomfort. If you have it in your power to reduce the negative, hurtful impact of the wilderness, you will be tempted 
to engage whatever that is, whether it's what God wants or whether he doesn't want it. And every wilderness you are in, like every trial you are in, is governed by God to produce things that can't happen anywhere else but the wilderness. And you may have been in the wilderness for a while. The whole point of the 40 days, this is a long time. This is not like a weekend. This is not like I've had a tough day or two. This is an extended season. And Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, and he implements, and I'm saying this as for your consideration, he implements a denial of what is normatively desirable and needed in order to focus, physically he denied it, in order to focus what was essential spiritually. Fasting isn't just about forfeiting the food you can eat. And I'm not arguing for a 40-day fast. I have been on a 40-day fast. It's hard. And it wasn't just water. It was juice. And it was good for me by way of a discipline. I'm not arguing that you need to do that. I'm arguing you need to consider a beforehand or at the time strategic action of denying the flesh in order to promote the spirit. I'm going to turn off what I would normally watch on a Saturday in order to pursue the Lord spiritually in his word. I'm going to sacrifice things, privileges, and prerogatives that I have normatively in order to intentionally pursue the Lord. There's a reason why Jesus succeeded. Because his focus was on the spirit and not on the flesh. He was denying the flesh in order to pursue the spirit. If you understand that, would you say amen? Now listen, fasting isn't famous in our culture. It is in certain parts of the world. Fasting is a discipline that says, I'm going to deny my flesh to pursue pursue a greater priority. I just want to argue, draw near to God by giving up something the flesh wants because of what the spirit needs when you're in the wilderness. He prioritized, secondly, not just an at-the-time strategic action. He ate nothing. But he prioritized, I'm going to argue, before the time preparation because of the way he reacted to these temptations with the words, it is written. Watch verse 3. And the devil said to him, now he's hungry. I, I, I don't know how to interpret that any other way than to suggest that He wasn't devouringly hungry until the end. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, the if is a first-class condition. It's not really a question mark. Jesus knows who he is, and Jesus, the enemy, knows who he is. It's not an identity crisis. If you are, prove you are. It's actually the opposite, since you are. Do what you can do to eliminate this situation. You have the power to do it. You have the capacity to do it. The Father clearly isn't providing what you need. So you take action in order to solve your situation. 
And I'm going to just summarize this for you by way of victory in the spirit, stones to bread, winning, not sinning. This is three illustrations in a row, really, of the same point. And you need to get this. This is the heart of depravity and the enemy's strategy. Will Jesus, in his humanity, as the second Adam, act independent of God? Will Jesus, as the second Adam, act independently of God, like the first Adam did in Eden? Every significant challenge that relates to your humanity will center on a core temptation. I'm going to fix my problem. And if I have the power to do it, if I have the capacity to arrange it, irrespective of what God's doing and the way God wants to do it, both the timing and the action of God providing. I don't like the wilderness I'm in, and I'm going to fix it if I can. That's the heart of all three of these challenges, and they all involve legitimate human needs. And Jesus' response to the temptation to meet legitimate needs Hunger need. That's a legitimate physical need. I'm hungry. You can turn these stones into croissants. You can fix this. You're the son of God, and since you are, you have the capacity to solve your problem. I want you to notice a couple things that Jesus said in response to that question. It is written. Man, do you see that? Man. Yes, I am the son of God. But this test, this wilderness journey is not my, about my identity as the son of God. This is about my identity as the son of man. It's divinity and humanity. And this test is not about his divinity. This test is about his humanity. This test is about Jesus displaying what a man ought to do when he's confronted with self-satisfying solutions that are contrary to the will and the way of God, the purposes of God. Remember, God led him into the wilderness to be what? Tested and tempted for 40 days without friends and allies, without food and services, without all the prerogatives of heaven, not as the son of God, but as the son of man, the second Adam, which is why Jesus says it is written, which is the fundamental supply and protection when you're tempted. What is God's viewpoint on a matter? It doesn't matter what I need or want. It doesn't matter what the enemy says or what I'm capable of. The governing priority, if you're going to win, not sin, is to ask the question, what does God want? What is God's view on the matter? Which is why Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is where this comes from. And here's kind of a a coaching tip. If you're going to discover God's view on a matter, if you're going to set your things on the mind of God, 
If you're going to win, not sin, you're going to walk and be led by the Spirit who inspires the Word of God. You need to dwell, you need the words of God, Colossians 3, need to dwell in you richly. And here's the coaching point. You need to find parallel spaces and places in your Bible that give you perspective on God's view of this situation. And what we know in this circumstance is Jesus by way of his quote, man shall not live by bread alone, comes out of a parallel scenario. Where are the children of Israel? In the wilderness. They've been delivered supernaturally from bondage from the Egyptians. They've been rescued and redeemed. They've been delivered, which is a type of salvation. Now they're in the journey of sanctification. They're being shaped in preparation. A journey that should have been a short journey became a long journey in the wilderness, not 40 days, but how long? 40 years. And here's a parenthetical. You wonder why you're in the wilderness? You're in the wilderness until you learn the lesson. Some of you live in the wilderness. Not because you have to, but because of the difficulty of growing in the understanding the wilderness necessarily must produce. Because it goes from deliverance to development. And your development happens in the wilderness. That's why you count it all joy when you fall into various trials, because you know the trying of your faith does something, produces strength, perseverance. And you let perseverance, that growing maturity and strength, have its perfect work. Let it finish its course so that you can be what? Whole, complete, lacking in nothing, which is Christ-likeness. Whole, no defects, mature, teleos, finished, and everything or every asset necessary for you to achieve the mission for which you're on the planet is secured where? In trials, the wilderness. And the wilderness is the training ground, listen to me, for your development. You're delivered, you're in development, and the goal of God is the land of abundance, your God's design, your Christian destiny is Canaan. You're headed to heaven, but Canaan's not heaven. I've said that to you before. There's no double-walled cities and giants in heaven. The double-walled cities and giants in the land flowing with milk and honey is a type of the abundant life. The wilderness is the necessary developmental space where you learn essential truths about God, winning, not sinning, so you can enjoy a land of abundance flowing with milk and honey, vineyards you didn't plant, cities that you didn't build, an abundance that you can only imagine, that's a type of the abundant life. And the wilderness is the developmental space where essential truths are learned or they're not learned. And if they're not learned, guess what you get to do? Let's take another cycle. Let's take another path. That's Deuteronomy chapter 8 is a reference to this first statement Jesus makes, parallel passage and thought, the wilderness journey. 
And this is where the quote comes from, verse 3. But we're going to start in verse 2. This is Moses talking to God's people about God's dealings with them. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness. All the way doesn't mean every turn. It means the manner. How did God deal with you during this wilderness journey? You remember that. These 40 years. Now watch this. This is important. If you're going to have victory in the Spirit, if you're going to win, not sin, you need to understand the purpose for the difficult spaces. Verse 2, He led you into the wilderness these 40 years that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Now listen, this is not God trying to figure out whether you're going to be faithful. This is you seeing whether you're going to be faithful. The test is illuminating to you. It's not like God's going to put you to see, oh, I'm going to see if Harry's going to do good here. This is so Harry's going to see whether Harry's trusting God and is humble and dependent or not. Watch this, verse 3. He humbled you and let you be hungry. Now watch this, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand, literally, that you might know, here it is, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Winning, not sinning, means I'm going to look I'm going to get God's view on a matter. I'm going to find a parallel place in the Bible that speaks to my circumstance, in this case, directed by the words of Jesus, back to Deuteronomy 8, and it's a wilderness story. And housed in the wilderness story is the recognition that the wilderness is a purposed place. It's a humble me space. It's a space to expose my heart as to whether, listen, I'm going to trust God and his provisions by his word, or I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to turn stones into bread, or I'm going to let God do mana, something that's never been done before. Nobody's ever seen it, nobody in the past, nobody in the present. You know what manna means, two words, what that. What is that? Nobody's ever seen this before. This is something that God does. This is not something you manufacture. This is not going back to Egypt and getting some groceries. This is not forging forward and fighting the enemies to get access to food you need. This is God saying, I put you right here where you have no solution." in order to, to, to test you as to whether you will trust me or whether you're going to trust yourself. Whether you're going to depend on me or you're going to depend on yourself. Let me give you a bottom line that you need to own. Dependence, daily dependence, is necessary for supernatural abundance. I'm going to teach you that you're going to depend on me and I will, by the decree of my mouth, provide for you what you need. It's legitimate. You're hungry. You need to eat. 
you're not going to get it the normal way. You're going to get it the God-provided, abundant, supernatural way. So you can either manufacture your own solution, you can, you can complain, or you can trust. Man does not live by man provisions. But by every word, the decree of God, the command of God that proceeds from his mouth, that supernaturally provides in a way that man can't provide. This is uh, Psalm sixty or Psalm seventy-eight, parallel passage. Man lives not by the stuff he takes, by but rather by what God gives via His word of decree and command. Now, here's the parallel passage. This is just Asaph. This is a Psalm of Asaph, Psalm seventy-eight, where God provides to meet the need via the word which proceeded out of His mouth. Listen to Psalm seventy-eight, verse twenty-three. He, God, had commanded, that's the word of God proceeding out of his mouth, so he commands his word out of his mouth. The clouds above opened the doors of heaven, how? By his word, and rained down manna, manna, on them to eat, and given them of the bread of heaven. Now listen to this. Men ate angels' food. He sent, again, by the word that proceeds from his mouth, food to the full. Now, Asaph is rehearsing poetically the word that God spoke from proceeding from his mouth that provided for a legitimate need for God's people supernaturally, not naturally. The heavens opened, the windows and the doors It rained from heaven like frost, and they ate until they were what? Full, satisfied. Winning, not sinning, is rooted in this conviction. I may not have what I think I need, but the one who has it will give it in his time and in his way. And I'm waiting on the right time and in the right, on the right way. Look, Jesus could have turned the stones into bread. He had the capacity. But he was led into the wilderness for a purpose. And that was a spiritual purpose. It was a confirming purpose. It was a validating desire of God to confirm and to teach and instruct And that purpose for that wilderness season, those 40 days, would have been compromised had Jesus done what was in his power to do. And the issue wasn't, was the food legitimate that he could have created? It was the source and the means that he would have deployed to secure it. Because God fed Jesus at the end of the 40 days when angels came to serve him. Angels coming from heaven to meet legitimate needs. When the test was done, when the education path was secured, then Jesus enjoyed supernatural provision from heaven. Uh, Here's a conviction for you. Winning, not sinning. Are you convinced that in the space you're in, you need to find and determine God's view on your situation? And trust him to supernaturally provide 
in order to meet that legitimate need. You don't have to manipulate it. You don't have to credit card your way into solutions for it. You don't have to click a button on the internet to satisfy that desire. Legitimate needs are provided by a real God in real time as you rely on him. His word that decrees the solution and the time, probably in a way that you wouldn't expect, is designed to give you the fundamental lesson that I can trust God with every legitimate human need, period. The flesh and the enemy will tempt you to look for solutions you can control yourself. Everything from making a comfort purchase, eating comfort food, internet surfing, and viewing to changing jobs, changing mates, changing locations, instead of waiting, trusting, enduring, and praying. Spirit-filled living is always based on His way, not our way, His timing, not our time. Can you say amen to that? Winning is revealed in the perfect Son of Man who said, listen, man... In my humanity, I'm not living based on physical bread. I'm living based on supernatural provision from God when God wants to give it. And I'm going to stay right where I am until he sovereignly and supernaturally and uniquely satisfies and provides. Otherwise, I'm going to sin. I'm going to choose my solution to satisfy my situation. You know why? Because I'm hungry. And dad isn't providing, so I'll provide. She's not meeting my need, so I'll meet my need. My boss isn't who I want them to be, and this job isn't the one I want to be in, so I'll change jobs. I'm going to do my thing to satisfy my situation. It's justified, listen to me, justified self-centeredness. And you know what justified self-centeredness is? Sin. Because the antithesis to sin is not self-centeredness, but God-centeredness. What does he want? And if you're led by the Spirit, you can be full of the Spirit and have 40 days of hard and difficult waves and winds. Trust him. Man doesn't live by bread alone. But by the ordinance of God, he commands, he supplies, and it could be, what that? I cannot believe that. I've never seen that. Yep. That's part of the lesson. Here's the bottom line. Divine abundance, supernatural abundance, is the product of daily on God dependence. You say amen? All right. That's the first installment. All right, we're going to work our way through victory in the Spirit. And I'm arguing for the fact that this is your example, doing what we must do to enjoy what is necessary to win and not sin. Because if you're led by the Spirit, you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Guaranteed. Father, thank you for the opportunity to unpack some of your word this morning. Lord, it is so tempting in our humanity 
to want to solve and satisfy legitimate needs. And the issue isn't always what the solution is, it's the source of that solution, self-dependence or God-dependence. And it's my prayer today for this group of salt and light believers, that they would be victorious, that they would be credible, they would be humble and reliant, daily dependent reliant on your way, not their way, your timing, not their timing, to the end that you could supply, as you promised the Israelites of old, the bounty and benefits of Canaan, heaven's supply, provisions that are both supernatural and I can't believe this natural. Lord, we love you. We need you. And we want to be living proof that you are who you say you are and you do what you say you can do. So, Lord, we confess what comes so natural to us, self-dependence, selfish independence. Help us to live by faith and not by sight. I ask it for us all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.